Well, we are continuing our sermon series on the parables of Jesus, and we're calling this uh, sermon series The Greatest Stories Ever Told. Now, I admit that's quite a statement, and if you're familiar with any of these parables that Jesus taught and the stories he told, you might be thinking that some of them, sure, are pretty good, but maybe you've heard better stories. Maybe you've told better stories as far as stories go. And you might be right. I mean, after all, the parables that Jesus tells, they aren't really that funny. They're not really that heartwarming. And most of the time, Jesus has to explain the stories after he's told the story, which if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, Andrew reminded us that if you have to explain your story, was it really a good story after all? But we're going to stick with this theme. These are the greatest stories ever told, that these parables that Jesus taught and, uh, and told, they're, they're so powerful because they're ultimately about Jesus. They're about his kingdom, but they're also about you. They're also about the world that we live in and all of our hopes and expectations. They're about uh, the very nature of reality and the world in which we live. These parables are meant to reveal to us the way God works in the world. And Jesus chose parables to teach those in the first century and, and us now all these centuries later who God is and why we should follow after him. All these questions you have about your life, who you are supposed to be, what you are supposed to do, how you're supposed to act, and the questions you have about our world. What is all, where all, where's all this going? What does any of this matter? All of those questions, Jesus answers with parables. That's why they're the greatest stories ever told. So this morning, we're going to look at the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. This one actually is a little bit funny, but we have to know a little bit something about mustard seeds, and we have to know a lot about faith if we're going to get the joke. So let's jump in and read and give ourselves to Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds and the parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we pray that no matter where we find ourselves this morning, whether we uh, come with great expectation and hope, whether we come tired and sad and in grief, whether we are uh, bored with uh, the life in which we are living, I pray that you would stir our hearts and our imaginations, that we would in fact see you, that we would know you, that we would give ourselves to this parable and see what you would have us to see, that you are ruling and reigning even now in our lives and in our world. May you make that possible all by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the greatest compliments you can give someone or a place or anything really is that the person or the place or the event exceeded your expectations. It's one thing if something meets your expectations, that's fine, you'll take it. But when a place exceeds your expectations, well, that's a whole different thing altogether. It's really a beautiful thing to experience. For the last two summers, my family's uh, gone to Louisiana 
for a week of vacation to visit uh, family. And we stay near a place uh, right near Avery Island. For those of you who don't know, Avery Island is where they make Tabasco sauce. A side note, I love Tabasco sauce. I cannot confirm this stat, which I'm about to tell you, but I think that I am one of the top 100 consumer, individual consumers of Tabasco sauce. Maybe in the world, that might be a bit of an overstatement, but it's got to be close. I love Tabasco. So imagine my joy and excitement when we go to Avery Island. I go with a lot of expectations. I want to be buried there. And every time we go, I am overjoyed. This place exceeds my expectations. There's something new to discover, new to behold. And I have a new experience, and it just, it just overwhelms me with, uh, with delight. It exceeds my expectations. It's great when it happens, although I will say it's, as you know, very rare when a place actually, a person or place can exceed your expectations. Think of any time you're in a new job, in a new relationship, or a new church. All of them come with great expectations, but inevitably, we all know what happens, right? Reality sets in. And to some degree or another, the reality doesn't meet the expectation, no matter how good the thing or the event or the person might be. And the Bible, interestingly enough, spends a lot of time talking about uh, this very issue for the simple reason that faith calls us to expect great and wonderful things from God, given what he promises. I mean, God is making big, grand, bold promises all throughout the Bible, promises that are then made to us. And yet we see and we live and we experience a reality that oftentimes looks quite different from the promises that have been made to us. And it's into this tension that we start asking questions like, does God exist? Is he good? Does he care about our world? Does he care about me? Does he hear my prayers? Does he care about my prayers? Does he care about this church? And why do we ask these questions? And we all ask these questions, but why do we ask them? Because we see a reality and it doesn't match up with the way we think it should. And as Jesus tells the story of the mustard seed and the leaven, he's addressing these questions. He calls us to see the kingdom of heaven, as he calls it, which is the reality behind the reality. This is the ultimate reality of, of the world and of the cosmos. And so in our text this morning, we're going to look at two parables to describe the kingdom of heaven and hopefully shed some light on this issue. So here's a theme or a, a, an idea uh, to hang on to here in our time. The kingdom of heaven grows subtly, oftentimes hidden from the world, though all the while bringing the power to renew and transform the world's and you. So let's jump in. First, Jesus calls us to be patient with his kingdom. We're called to be patient. Why would Jesus use this parable to describe his kingdom? I mean, why would he compare his kingdom to a mustard seed? Now, on the surface, we could be led to think that maybe Jesus is managing our expectations, as though to say, hold on a second, don't get too excited about what I'm doing. Hang on a second. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It could be that he's, he's uh, uh, living by the age-old adage that if you shoot for the ground, you'll never miss, right? If you keep expectations low all the time, you'll never be disappointed. But that's not what Jesus is doing here at all. That's not what he's doing because so much of what Jesus says and what he does actually raises our hopes. It raises our expectations for who he is and what he's doing in the world. I mean, when Jesus uses the term kingdom of heaven, he is absolutely raising the stakes, when the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's talking about the place where God rules and reigns and everyone and everything knows it. And all of creation praises him for it. 
The kingdom, and the kingdom of heaven comes with promises. It promises a world that, is, that will not be broken, where there is no sin, there's no oppression, no pain, decay, or injustice. There are no broken marriages. A place where nature is subdued, there are no hurricanes or tsunamis or famines. There's no poverty or racism, and there's no death. And it's not just the world that's absent of those things. The kingdom of heaven is filled with wonderful, majestic things. The kingdom of heaven is the promise that God is going to fix everything in the world. And not just fix it, but make it whole. Make it better than it was before. He's going to renovate the entire world and everything in it. And so all throughout the Old Testament, you have this vision. This vision is given to us time and time again. Habakkuk 2.14 tells us that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. There's Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Those are big promises. And even more than that, Israel in the Old Testament was to be the people, the great tree, the mighty cedar, where all the nations would be drawn like birds and make nests in this tree because that's where they would find shelter and rest. So this promise was for the world, but it starts with Israel as God's people to represent the kingdom of God and all the promises to the world. And so whether you realize it or not, when you, say, when you say I'm a Christian or when you say like I'm a follower of Jesus, you are loaded with tons of expectations about who God is and what, he, what God is going to do for you and for the world. There's this ideal world that God promises that seems like a fairy tale at times. It seems so far away from reality, which is why we're so often drawn to other promises, to other people, to other dreams and to other ideologies. Because maybe something or somewhere or someone else will deliver on the promises. And if you're skeptical of Christianity, you know this is true as well. Christians are always talking about God and what he's done for them and what he can do for the world. And you don't have to look very far or very long before there seems to be plenty enough proof that maybe that just isn't true. And so those questions are the same ones that were being asked in Jesus' time in light of what God had promised and what was expected. Because remember what Jesus is doing. He's hanging out. He's gathering a group in these crowds that he's teaching this parable to. But the people that are drawn to him are not the powerful ones, but they're commoners, those with diseases, the scourge of society. And he has the audacity to say, follow me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one whom all these prophets were talking about. And I'm going to bring about this new kingdom. I'm going to bring about this kingdom of heaven. Repent and believe that the kingdom of heaven is here. But, by the way, the kingdom of heaven is kind of like a mustard seed. The smallest of all seeds. And it's going to grow over time. And the world looked at him and said, are you crazy? You can't be serious to call this kingdom of heaven, the thing that you're doing, a mustard seed. And so this passage, along with so much of the New Testament, tells us that, yes, the kingdom of heaven is here. It has come with Christ. But it's not what you would expect. It doesn't come in the way you would expect. It's actually kind of hard to see, and at times uh, it's hard to see, but make no mistake about it. 
the kingdom of heaven is here. And so Jesus invites us to bring our doubts and our fears and our skepticism about God's kingdom to this passage so that he can give us the eyes of faith to see what he sees. And what does he see? What does he want us to see? Well, first, we should not be surprised by the somewhat unimpressive beginnings of the kingdom. What is the mustard seed? It's the smallest of all the seeds. This would have been great relief to those following Jesus in the first century. I mean, when, when we think of Jesus' ministry, what do we think of? Oftentimes, we think of the miracles. We think of him doing these amazing things, walking on water, raising people from the dead, healing diseases, feeding 5,000. I mean, all these amazing miracles, and they are amazing. But Jesus' ministry was like a mustard seed because of the people it attracted. They were the outcasts, those without social status, the poor, those without any real education, those that weren't all that religious. They had no political power or clout to speak of. And so from the small and hidden things that are taking place in his ministry, from these humble beginnings, great things begin to come about. I mean, think about the birth of Jesus. This is the king coming to save and renew the entire world. And he's born in a stable in an inn and three wise men show up. There's no fanfare. There's no coronation. There's no great pomp. But in a word, Jesus is saying, this is how I planned it. You can trust this kingdom. But ultimately, when Jesus tells the parable of the mustard seed, that it's the smallest of all seeds, he's calling us to be patient. God's kingdom comes slowly. And this reality is hard for us if we're willing to admit it. We are modern people. Slow doesn't work for us. Patience is not something we're asked to cultivate, at least not as adults, right? Patience is something parents ask of kids when they're on a long road trip. It's not something you go after as an adult. What we want and what we expect is that God will work quickly, if not instantly. And I think that's why the hardest thing about following Jesus oftentimes is the waiting. It's the patience. But you need to remember the mustard seed. And as you see God's kingdom as a mustard seed, you begin to see that he is Lord over the timing of your life. He knows better than you do what you need, but also when you need it. And the best thing for you might be that it takes time for whatever you think you need to come about right now. See, waiting on God grows a dependence. Waiting on God grows in us a humility in, uh, in our lives. Waiting reminds us that we're not in control of our lives or our world. So when Jesus uses the parable of the mustard seed and tells the story, he's calling us to patience. But he's also calling us to perceive the reality of the kingdom. He's calling us to see. Okay, here's the joke in the story. It's not ha-ha funny, but it's sort of like a joke. Jesus says that after the mustard seed is planted in the ground and the man sows his field, the smallest of all seeds grows larger than all the other garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds of the air come and make, sense, make nests in its branches. Okay, the problem is mustard seeds don't grow into trees. Mustard seeds grow into small, insignificant bushes, a shrub. I mean, that's it. There's nothing impressive about what a mustard seed turns into. So either Jesus is wrong, Jesus is a terrible botanist and doesn't understand the world that he created, or he's trying to do something else. Jesus is intentionally, I think, being absurd here because what he's saying is absurd. What he's saying is laughable. Mustard seeds don't grow into big trees, but that's the joke. 
That's the point of the story. See, Jesus is telling his disciples not to be fooled by what they see or what they don't see. The shrub is the kingdom of heaven, and it's going to be like a tree. And those following Jesus, remembering the promises made to them, see, in in the first century, they would have been tempted to see a mustard shrub and think, no, we were promised a tree. We were promised a tree. We were promised that we were going to be like the mighty cedars of Egypt and Babylon and Greece and now Rome, and we are far from it. That's what we're expecting. That's what we want to see. And so the temptation would have been for them to leave Jesus, to leave his kingdom in search of something far more powerful, something that grows faster, something that is more impressive than a shrub. They would be tempted to go follow after a kingdom that looks at least like it has far more power and potential. And yet here Jesus says, no, no, no. My kingdom, despite its appearances, is the mighty tree that was promised. My kingdom is going to draw the nations. My my kingdom is going to topple down all the other mighty oaks, all the other kingdoms. This small, despised, insignificant little shrub is greater than any tree, any other kingdom that has ever been conceived of, no matter how big, no matter how large, no matter how powerful. So Jesus' parable asks us and it invites us and it challenges us to see and perceive the reality that even though the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and it will grow into a shrub, it will not be stopped. It will continue until it brings about the consummation and the healing of all things in the world. See, Jesus is asking us here to live by faith, to have eyes of faith, to learn to look at mustard seeds and mustard bushes and see the reality that there is this great tree growing in this city and in our world that actually brings life, that brings hope. In other words, Jesus is asking us to look to him and his people, his church, and look at our insignificance, our powerlessness, our sputtering through every generation, every age, and see that he is in fact at work. And this kingdom we long for, the kingdom we hope for, is in fact growing and expanding into something beautiful. But what should we do? What should we do if we're having trouble seeing or believing or taking hope in the kingdom as a mustard seed? I mean, what do we do if we don't find the joke very funny? I didn't sign up for a bush, right? You want the mighty tree, and you want to see the mighty tree now. What do we do? Well, let me suggest two things by way of perceiving. One is that we listen. We listen. See, a great way to perceive this mustard seed growing is to listen to other people's stories of God's grace. We so often are given to liking to hear our own story and tell our own story over and over and over again. But if you want to really perceive how God is at work in the world, you have to learn to listen, to listen to how God's at work in other people's lives. You're one part of this mustard bush. And when you involve yourselves with the church and with one another, you will see both the extensive growth of the kingdom, but also its power to transform the world. See, if you only look at your own life, if you only look at your own story and see your own frustrations and your own diminished expectations, you're never going to get the joke. You won't be in on the joke because you'll never see the power of Jesus' kingdom, even when it looks so small and so insignificant. The second way to perceive this mustard seed, is to read. The first way is to listen. The second way is to read. The more you read God's word and become at home in God's world, the more you'll get the joke that Jesus is telling. And the more you'll train your eyes to see 
just how a mustard seed can grow to change the world. This story, this parable that Jesus is telling about the mustard seed and the leaven, this story is told over and over again in a thousand different ways through people's lives in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's always the ins- insignificant. It's always what you can't see. It's always the people that, that shouldn't have the blessing, that, that shouldn't have God's grace, that end up getting it and toppling over those who are in power. I mean, the story happens over and over and over again. And if you will look for it, if you will learn to see it in the scriptures, you will see it then in your own life. You will see it in the world around you. See, giving yourself to the scriptures will help you to grow in patience and cultivate eyes of faith to see the deeper reality of Jesus' kingdom. So we're called to be patient. We're also called to perceive that Jesus is, in fact, at work. But lastly, Jesus calls us to trust in the power of his kingdom. So what power does this kingdom possibly have? I promise you I'm not trying to lower your expectations or manage your expectations for what Jesus can do in your life. Jesus certainly doesn't do that in the scriptures, and he's not even doing that here in this parable. But if Jesus' kingdom is merely a bush, then what will it do? What can he do? Well, the answer is he can transform, and he will transform everything. See, while the mustard seed represents the hidden growth, it's the yeast that represents this pervasive transformation. Notice a few things about this yeast. First, it doesn't take much. Jesus stresses the fact that there's a large amount of flour and some yeast. Very similar to the mustard seed, it's insignificant. It's not very noticeable. Our translation says that the woman hid the yeast in the flour. So there's this subversive, stealth-like quality to this yeast. As though if you don't look closely enough, you'll forget it's even in there. You'll forget that you even put the yeast in there. The second thing is that the yeast, what the yeast does is it permeates and it it changes every aspect of the flour. See, the yeast doesn't stop exerting its power until it's changed the composition of the flour into dough. Look, the kingdom of God, the church, can look so small. And it can look so insignificant at times compared to the rest of the world. I mean, what influence can this church really have for the city? What kind of change and transformation can we really expect? And what Jesus is saying in this parable is more power than we could ever conceive. Again, he's raising our expectations. But the question for us is, where does the power come from? This power to transform, this power of the yeast to transform all of the flour, does it come from within ourselves? I think it's a temptation to believe that. I think we're oftentimes given to that temptation, as though if we're good enough, we can do it. If we get the right exact vision for the church or for ourselves, then we'll be really influential. If we can just have the right vision and execute the plan in just the right way, we'll be able to change the world. I think there, but there's a reality here. There's a subtle assumption that's very important to see that's underneath both of these parables. And it's this, that God is at work. It's God who makes the mustard seed grow through his provision of rain and sunlight. It's God who causes the yeast to transform the flour into dough. It's not the farmer's expertise in farming that causes the mustard seed to grow. And it's not the woman's incredible ability, uh, baking ability that allows the transformation to happen. There's a temptation to read and to live out a parable, the parables like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted the mustard seed and then worked very hard to make it grow. He measured out the water every day. He knew exactly where and when to plant it and how much sun to give it. And then he labored. 
knowing that if he messed up just once, the plant would die before it became the tree it was supposed to be because it was all up to him. But because he did it just the right way and he saw success and he found blessing, the mustard seed grew and God was pleased. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who measured out the exact amount of yeast into the exact amount of flour and mixed it for the exact amount, right amount of time for fear that if she used too little yeast or if she used too much flour, the yeast would not transform the flour into dough. But because she did it perfectly, God was pleased and the yeast did what it was supposed to do because after all, it was all up to her. See, if you read the parables like that, if you live the parables like that, you're, gonna, you're mistaken. You're deeply mistaken. Jesus is standing before his disciples and standing before these crowds and now us, and he is saying, I'm going to bring this kingdom about. It's me who is going to do it. It's my power. It's my faithfulness. It's my steadfastness. It's my timing. It's my grace. It's my mercy. It's my love that is going to bring this kingdom about. I'm the farmer sowing the seed. I'm the baker placing the yeast in the dough. I'm going to do it. And our job, our job is to look for it and then follow him by faith. You see the difference? The power that the kingdom has, that the church has, is the power of God. And this parable teaches us that God is at work and he is faithful to see his kingdom come. And as we spend time in the parables this summer, let me encourage you to sit with them, to study them, to wrestle, them, wrestle with them. The kingdom of heaven and the parables are so closely linked. Neither the kingdom of heaven nor the teaching of the parables are obvious on the surface. What oftentimes is much easier to see and much more obvious is the chaos and the pain and the sin that is in the world. That's what's obvious. And that's why we ask the questions we do. That's why we struggle with our expectations and the reality around us. For Matthew, Jesus' use of parables is actually proof for him in verse 35 that this is God revealing what was put in place since the creation of the world. Matthew says that Jesus is revealing the reality of the kingdom from the creation of the world. And the reality is that this mustard seed, this yeast, his kingdom, and the way he's bringing about through his church, it is not plan B. This is the way he's doing it. This is not God's last-ditched effort to save the world. But by God's patience and his grace, this is the way it has always been, the way in which he is bringing about a new humanity. And so by using parables, Jesus is inviting us to look past the obvious to another reality, to the real reality, not to look at the mustard seed and the yeast, but in a sense to look through it. Parables actually train us to see the kingdom of heaven here on earth. See, as you look and study the parables, they begin to reveal their meaning. You look at the world and begin to see more and more God's kingdom, the mustard seed and the yeast, in the words that are spoken, in the community that is shared, in the burdens that are carried by others, in the prayers that are offered, in the songs that are sung. And the parables ultimately point us to Jesus. Jesus is the king who brought his kingdom by way of a cross. And if that's the case, it's never going to appear. His kingdom is never going to appear powerful in the eyes of the world. So it shouldn't surprise us that then his kingdom would be best described by a small insignificant things like mustard seeds and leaven. But make no mistake, it's his power. It's his love that will fulfill all the promises and all the hopes of his kingdom. 
This is the world that we are longing for, and it is coming. If we have eyes to see what has been hidden since the foundation of the world, we will see that he is, in fact, at work, and he's calling us to be part of his work in the world. May God give us eyes to see his kingdom. Let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your stories that you tell of mustard seeds and yeast. Lord, may they grow in us an imagination to see your kingdom. May we have eyes to see how you are work, your faithfulness and love for us and how we can participate. But God, we pray you would give us patience to trust in your work and in your timing that we would be a people that perceive and know your power in the world. And may we then be witnesses of that power as we tell, tell the world that your kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.